If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64. Tonight, I want to share with you the subject I've entitled, Taking Hold of God. Taking Hold of God. Isaiah 64, I want to read from verse 1. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts for the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices and does righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. You are indeed angry, for we have sinned. In these ways we continue, and we need to be saved. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. I want to read verse 7 again. There is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up, to take hold of you, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, taking hold of God. As I've been waiting on the Holy Spirit and as I've been asking him about what he wants to say with us, one of the things that is so important for us to understand that God has been speaking to us as a church about pursuing his vision, pursuing the vision of God, that which God has for you to pursue this year. And uh, we're in October, and the year is nearly over, and I wonder how many of us have really intentionally sought to press in to what God spoke to them about. I don't know about you, but as the years are going by, more and more I'm feeling this urgency that the time is short. Not so much that Jesus is returning, because the Lord will come when he comes. But that we don't have long. That the time that we have is not as long as we think. I mean, I remember a few days ago, I gave my heart to the Lord. And 34 years later, it's gone like that. And so, I want to make sure that the rest of the years that I have, even though I may have wasted the past, that from today and from tonight, until I am ready to face him, I will not waste any more time. I hope that is your testimony. And so, I have, as I've been praying and as I've been seeking him, I felt like the Holy Spirit wants to challenge us, all of us here. Thank you, but actually, this is not what I want. I want to be able to move okay. back and forth. You know, so that I look tall. You know, I, I kind of look tall when I stand here. And then when I go back to normal size, 
you know, thank you. Normally you're in the spirit. <laughs> you see, yeah, okay, fine. All right. So when I say taking hold of God, what am I referring to? When I talk to, or when we're talking about taking hold of God, and that's I've been waiting on the Holy Spirit, and he keeps saying this, that we should take hold of him. What does that mean? What does it mean for you as an individual to take hold of God? And in your heart, in your journey with the Lord, how are you pursuing the Lord? Look at the scripture. He says, there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up, to take hold of you. That word in the Hebrew, take hold of, it literally means to seize upon. To seize upon. In other words, this is an individual who has made it their intention that they are going to grab a hold of God. They are going to hold on to God until they experience whatever it is that they need to experience with him. An example of this is Jacob. You discover that Jacob has an encounter with God where he begins to wrestle with an angel. And this angel represented the Lord. And as he wrestled with this angel in Genesis chapter 32, the angel said to him, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And so the angel then touches a part of Jacob's thigh so that he goes out of joint. He hurts Jacob, and still he doesn't let him go. And then through that encounter, he changes Jacob's name to Israel. And in that, there is a, a clear picture for us about how you take a hold of God. If you want to enter into the higher dimensions of the reality of God, beloved, it doesn't come simply by default. Yes, we are saved. Yes, we are going to heaven and all of that. But if you want to enter a reality with God where his presence, his manifest presence, his manifest power is a continuous reality in your life, you are walking under an open heaven, not simply because you are saved, but because it is an expression of your consecration. That is a different issue altogether. That is going to mean you are going to be very intentional. He says there is none that calls on your name. It's like an individual who becomes desperate and keeps crying out to God. Crying out to God. Crying out to God until they get his attention. It, he says there is none that takes hold of you. None that, none that seizes upon you. I wonder in CLF how many of us are in our secret history deliberately seizing or grabbing onto God. You see, when you begin to do this, something will happen. Initially, God will distance himself. That's what happens. Anytime you begin to seek after God, he will deliberately take a step back. And so it becomes almost boring, difficult, unbearable. And it takes a step back. And as you keep pressing in, it gets even harder. And then look at with Jacob. He touches his joint, where he, his thigh, where he goes out of joint. He hurts him. But still he pressed on. 
Beloved, I believe that God is speaking to somebody today. That he's speaking to you. Whatever your situation, forget about that. Begin to press into God. Begin to press into God. So, let me just go for a few things here. By what I mean by taking hold of God. Number one, it means that you are transformed in who you are, your nature, because of your pursuit in God. When you begin to take a hold of God, when you begin to seize onto God, something will happen to you on the inside. You know, when I look at some of the things, you know, this year, when we began this year, especially those in Greenwich, they'll tell you that I told them, this year for us in CLF is a year of pruning. This will be a year where some of the people who have been with us will leave. And the Holy Spirit said to me, this will be a year of pruning. I didn't like it. I didn't like it because I know what it means. And indeed, we have seen that. And for the first time in our history, several of our strong people decided to leave. And it wasn't because the leaders were living in sin, were stealing money. No, sometimes in church, when the leaders are stealing money, people don't leave. It wasn't because the leaders were doing something, were fighting against each other, or that the anointing of the Holy Spirit had lifted, or whatever. It was because it was part of the work of God, pruning. And uh, at the same time, I felt the ridicule, me personally, I felt the ridicule of the enemy concerning some of the things that God had spoken to me about, that has not happened. I felt it. And at the same time, this has been a year where, by the grace of God, we have sought to pursue him. We, I have sought to pursue him. In reality, I don't know if it's the hardest I've done, I don't know, but I've sought to pursue him. Why? Because I need more of God. Something I need to change. Joseph must die. So that Christ must live. When you begin to take a hold of God, you will begin to change. And this is why you have to get your eyes off some of these, these carnal things. You know, I was saying to my sister today, actually, I was saying to her, some of the things that concerns me to me is so carnal. My church isn't growing. Meanwhile, somebody is in um, Syria who has lost their family. Some of the things that concerns me to me is is ridiculous. You know, um, um, I haven't got a church building after all these years of ministry. And so, there are believers who can't worship. And they're just glad to be called Christians. Some of the things that concern me, I, I, I'm, I, when I'm telling the Lord and I'm crying, I'm telling him, I am crying, but we both know this is embarrassing. Because I'm, I'm in pain about trivial things. I'm still in pain, but I know it's embarrassing. I should be glorying in tribulation, not crying in tribulation. I, when you begin to take a hold of God, your nature will change. Secondly, when you begin to take a hold of God, you will begin to experience him in undeniable manifestations. Many of us have a form of godliness and we lack the reality of its power. 
Because we have never really entered into a reality of taking hold of God. Young people, I want to encourage you. Don't be like your parents. Don't look at their spirituality as the yardstick. That ain't the yardstick. There was a generation that used to fast and pray for weeks. And it wasn't the church that called them to do it. We decided. Our friends, we would say, let's fast for three days. And we will fast. For, not this modern day three day. Cup of tea, some biscuit here and there, you know, to, and, and to, to deal with it. No, this was water. Sometimes no food, no water. And it wasn't six to six. This was 24 hours proper. Are you still here? So sometimes when you see some of us and you see a, a little drop of water in our life as a manifestation of the power, let me tell you, it didn't come cheap. That little drop didn't come cheap. Are you still there? Young people, I want to challenge you to become radical and decide for yourself you are going to take a hold of God for yourself. It doesn't matter what you see with your parents. It doesn't matter what you see with your peers. You are going to grab a hold of God because one plus God becomes a majority that can change a nation. When you begin to take hold of him, you will begin to experience undeniable manifestations of his manifest presence. In 1986, I was in the Poly of Wales, Polytechnic of Wales, and I was seeking the Lord. Before I went, I started to seek him, say to him in prayer, please let me feel your presence. I want to know what it is like to feel your presence. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in church when people say, I can feel the presence of God? And you think, yeah, of course you can. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Hey, these holy people. How many of you know what I'm talking about? People say they can feel the presence of God, and you think, what presence of God? There's just a bit of noise, a bit of steam from people's head, but there's no presence of God. Yeah. And so I said to him, let me feel your presence. And I said to him, let me know when I'm doing the wrong thing. Tell me when I'm doing the wrong thing. I prayed that prayer for months. And then one day as I was praying, I began to feel the manifest presence of God. And I stopped that for, hold on, wait a minute, what's this? Touch the heater. The heater was, what is this? Heat patches, manifesting, nice feeling. The other day I said to my wife, you see how the sun is shining on your skin like this? How it feels? That's how I feel a lot of times, the manifest presence. But it started in 86 Till today. Most of the time, every day, most of the time. I'm saying that because I want to provoke you to enter a dimension of reality. And then this other bit, well, I said, let me know when I'm doing the wrong thing. I began to have an inner sense when people were lying to me. So when people are talking to me and they're being nice, I suddenly get this thing and I think, hey, they are lying. They're not telling the truth. Okay, now let me, I know what happens now. Maybe I should have said that. But the point is, no, no, really. Philip knows, Philip knows when he's lying to me. No, Philip knows, no. <laughs> Philip knows, no. No, but, but the point is, is this, is that that happened, that was a small token, a small token of something that happened 
in my life. Now, some of you have attestations of the reality of God revealing himself to you. But what I'm trying to say to you is, is that it is in the reach of every one of you. If you decide from tonight that you are going to take a hold of God, over a period of time, as you take those deliberate steps, something will happen to you. You see, Moses, in Exodus 33, verses 7 to 11, he says this. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. It's interesting. He puts this tent outside the camp. In other words, it speaks to us of when you want to enter a deeper reality with God, you have to learn to separate yourself. You have to separate yourself. It doesn't come just by playing the same computer games that everybody plays, doing the same thing that everybody does. I enjoy computer games, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't come like that. You have to separate yourself. Verse 8. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose. And each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. It's like church today. When we see one person entering into a reality, we all say, wow, what a great guy. Awesome. I mean, I, I thank God for the privilege that I have to be Prophet Anno's friend. I know him. He's my friend. He's a very good friend. He's a very close friend. And I know the reality of his walk with God. But let me tell you this. Many will look at him and applaud, but will not be prepared to go through what he goes through. Let's read the next one. In verse 9, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud. It wasn't a figment of their imagination. All the people saw the pillar of cloud. I am believing there will come a time in somebody's life where the reality of God is so strong it becomes undeniable. People will see that this man, this woman, this boy, this girl is a man of God. It's a woman of God. It's a child of God. They know God. They will be like those that it says in Daniel 11:32. And the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. I pray that in CLF, a generation will rise up who will know their God and do mighty exploits for their God in these days. Verse 11, all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle and all the people rose and worshipped each man at his tent door at a distance. Huh. Look at this. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We, are, we want that. I read that and I want it. Not in heaven. Not in the age to come. I want it. I said I want it. I pray that is your testimony. But look at the next phrase. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, say a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, wait a minute. This was the tabernacle that when Moses entered, the pillar came down. God spoke to him face to face. When Moses left, he still stayed. Is there any wonder that Moses could take on two kings? He could take on 31. 
Joshua, at a very young age, understood the source of Moses' power. It was in his communion with God. So even after Moses stopped praying, he continued. Even after Moses left the tabernacle, he continued. Because he learned a secret of taking hold of God. Another thing that happens when you begin to take a hold of God, you will start seeing his mighty power through your life. His mighty intervention through your life. Look at what David said in Psalm 63 verses 1 and 2. He said, oh God, look here. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. Early will I seek you. Or earnestly will I seek you. In other words, I will seek you as number one priority. Beloved, if we want to take a hold of God, we have to tell him and demonstrate to him by our actions how important he is. There are, let me tell you, there are a million and one reasons why you shouldn't be ardent in seeking God. And let me tell you, there are many pastors who hardly spend time in prayer. Many pastors who hardly spend time, they'll spend like 10, 15, 20 minutes in prayer and they're done. If they even get 40 minutes, they're doing really well. I'm not saying it to ridicule, but I'm saying it like this. The apostles learned very early in ministry that for them to see the manifest power of God, they must give themselves to two things, to prayer and the ministry of the word. To prayer and the ministry of the word. That means, on average, an eight-hour day, a lot of it will be filled with seeking God. Today, if you do that, people think you are wasting time. Try and pray for eight hours and see what it's like. He said, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. When I look in the sanctuary, I am not seeing the power and the glory in my life and in the life of my church. I am not seeing it. And I want to. And it begins by taking hold of God. I have made up my mind that as I go in ministry, my number one priority is prayer. Spending time with God. Those in the office, they, they will tell you, you do not interrupt my times in prayer unless you have a good reason. It doesn't matter who you, It is the most important engagement And I am praying that God will put a burden on the members of Christian Life Fellowship and any of our guests and, and friends that are here where you will, you will begin to prioritize intense times of seeking God, not because you need a breakthrough. Yes, I would rather you do it for a breakthrough, but more than a breakthrough in some physical manifestation, you will break through with him. Because when you break through with God, Everything else will follow. I hope that Prof will share some of his testimonies. He's an amazing man. But there is a dimension of reality that he has broken through in. 
Now, this church, we're used to the prophetic. We've seen very powerful prophets. It's not that. We don't, I'm not looking at that. Because as for the prophetic, several in this room here, later on when you begin to pray for people, the prophetic anointing is strong on this congregation. But it's not that. I'm not talking about that. I am talking about a reality in God where God himself shows up constantly on your behalf. Say, I will seek the Lord. He says, so I have looked for you to see your power in the sanctuary, to see your power and your glory. I pray, whatever your age, you make up your mind, you're going to see the power and the glory of God. You're going to see the power and the glory of God. You're going to be hungry to see the power and the glory of God. Beloved, everybody has equal distance to the power and the glory of God. Help me with the time, please. Four, what happens when we begin to take a hold of God? We become impacted by his power and end up becoming another person. We change. You will begin to change. You will change. As you encounter God, certain things will drop off. The reason why many of us, the habits we have, have not dropped off is because we're trying to fight it in ourselves, in our flesh. It's not possible. As you press into God, he gives you the ability to let go of things. I never thought that there were certain things that would be gone from my life. There were certain things I honestly believed. I did believe it until about three, four years ago. That as a man, they will remain until Jesus comes. I'll just have to deal with it. But about three years ago, I had an encounter with God in my living room. Not in the mountains of Everest. In Gillingham. In my living room. I had an encounter with God. And that encounter, he opened my eyes to see the kind of life I could live. And when he showed me that life, he said to me, this life, if you live it, this is where you're going. It was the life of a Christian who lived a compromised life. Now, at that time, I was not compromising. But I was seeking him. And that evening, I had been seeking him in prayer, and I had been weeping, and I said to him, please, help me not to lose my soul. Now, those of you that believe one saved, always saved, you don't need to pray this prayer. Yeah, why, why, why should you pray this prayer? Once, once you're saved, you always say, but I don't believe that doctrine, so I pray these insurances. So I said, Lord, please, I was weeping. Don't let me lose my soul. Now, there was nothing going on in my life, please understand, where I was maybe sinning and therefore I had finally been... No, there wasn't anything like that. I wasn't stealing your money. I wasn't watching pornography. I wasn't lying to my wife. I wasn't flirting with the sisters. What else? I wasn't lying. What else? What else do we do? I wasn't swearing. What else do we do? I wasn't beating up my wife. Or she wasn't beating me up. Well, I don't know. But I was under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so I prayed this prayer and then I decided to watch some YouTube videos about people who've had hell experiences. Always a cheerful thing to do. And then I had a dream and I had a vision. And the Lord spoke to me. After he spoke to me, I made up my mind. 
to live a certain way. And then just to add insult to injury, if you please, he then spoke to me through another person. And I never liked God speaking to me through other people about private affairs of my life. I don't want someone to call me, your name is Joseph Kofi Buedu, you live at this, this is your address, and oh, by the way, you did this, that. I'm not interested. I don't really, I know what I've done, I know where I live, I know my name, I don't want to be called, I don't want that. If you have a message, tell me, I don't need that. Especially you might say, you're this, you're this, and then they will add, but you're really proud, and then, but you're this, you're that, and oh! No, so. But he did, he spoke to me through somebody, very clear. And I said, since you have been able to reveal this to somebody, I will never give you opportunity to reveal another bad thing in my life to anybody else. I'm not doing it. And from that, then, then I realized, oh, so I see. So when you don't want to get embarrassed, you can stop doing things. Okay. And then the fear of God came upon me, and I realized I can never get away with certain things again. But it was an encounter with God. It changed me. What I'm saying is this. God will meet you when you decide to take, decide to take a hold of him. Don't hide behind, I'm not a prayerful. Let me tell you, I am definitely not the prayerful kind. I am the playerful kind. If you don't believe me, ask my son and my daughter. In fact, Joel likes to come to me and say to me, Daddy, you really like computer games, don't you? <laughs> Sounds prophetic. All right. Now, quickly, why do we need to take a hold of God? Quickly, and then we're going to pray. I want you to turn to Ezekiel 22. Ezekiel 22, verses 29 to 31. Ezekiel 22, 30, 29 to 31. It says, the people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy. And they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. He said, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. This was the situation. In fact, when you read earlier on, it's even worse. And God wanted to intervene. But God needs somebody. God needs a man. God needs a woman. In our nation today, the reason why things are the way they are, because we, the body of Christ, are not playing the proper role. We had this wonderful debate yesterday um, with um, Reverend Don Prem. I said, we're talking about, um, uh, and we came to an agreement. And the agreement was, we need God to empower us a certain way so that we can have influence in high places. <laughs> that was the conclusion we came to. We need God to empower us so that we can have influence. Without God empowering you, you just become like everyone else. And our world today is in need of people who have the God factor upon them. But it's not this, this ankle deep God factor that we are currently walking in. That is not going to do it. It has to be people who have entered a reality of the Holy Spirit where they are swimming in his glory. That will be your story in Jesus' name. Why do we need to take hold of God? 
Number one, because of our immediate challenges, which cannot be solved without God. Some of us are facing certain things now that we need God in. I'll never forget this happened in our church. We once went on a, 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 one of our camps many years ago, and it was a new believer, and they came to our camp. And then when they came, they had a great time. Then they went home. And after they went home, something happened to them, and they lost their mind. And so the parents, as far as we're concerned, we did something to them in the camp. And they had been admitted. So I found out, and I knew, this one, if I don't do something, it could go funny. So as much as I enjoy it, I fasted three days, three nights on water. Didn't tell anyone. Fasted. And after I fasted, I went to see them. I went to see them. I laid hands on them, prayed for them, left them. A few days after, they were discharged and they were whole. Now, the reason why I'm saying that is this. I realized this one is no counseling business. This one is no step one, step two, step three. There are certain things, they are so immediate, if you don't do something about it now, you have 10 years later, you'll be meditating on what you should and shouldn't have done. And sometimes you just need to right now act on what you feel. Right now, it was three days, water. Trust me, I am not one of these who, uh, there are some people who really can fast. Every time I'm embarking on fasting, I do a lot of prayer beforehand. Oh God, give me the strength, give me the strength, give me the strength. But I knew. And I'm telling you, for some of you, the situations that you're facing, if you want God to intervene, that's the cure. It's as simple as that. Secondly, why do we need to take hold of God? Because of the current state of our world. Our, st our world is in a bad place. The darkness is getting stronger. The Lord showed me something and I was not happy about how the world was going and how bad it was going to get in terms of the persecution of believers. But at the same time, I know that as believers are living for God in spirit and in truth, there will be a supernatural protection on us. But it takes real consecration. And for us as an eldership, one of our responsibilities is to make sure that those under our oversight are being prepared properly, are being equipped properly for what's coming. Number three, why do we need God to intervene? Because of the tyranny of the enemy. Not just because of how bad the world's getting, but the enemy is a tyrant. And he has every intention of destroying people. Number four, why? Because, why do we need God to intervene? Because many are lost and they are going to an eternity without God. And we, as the people of God, need to capture the reality of the situation that people are in. I'm sorry, I just don't believe that the church is supposed to have meetings where we minister to the needs of people as the end goal. I just don't believe in that. That's not New Testament. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The kingdom of God or the rule of God or the will of God is righteousness, that which God approves of. is peace, that which is in harmony with God. It is joy in the Holy Spirit, that which delights in the Spirit of God. That's what the kingdom is about. All this other stuff, they are small screens. 
There is a lost and a dying world, beloved. There is a lost and a dying world. They need the real gospel message. They need to be preached to about the cross of Jesus Christ, about holiness, about repentance. The Bible says, whilst Paul spoke to Felix concerning repentance, judgment, and things to come, Felix trembled. Today, you preach like that. It's not PC. You're scaring people. I'm talking about taking hold of God. When we begin to take a hold of God and his power is being evident in us, people will listen to what we have to say. Why do we need to take a hold of God? Number five, because we are spiritually dry and in desperate need for more of God. I don't know about you, but I'm spiritually dry. I cannot live on yesterday's revelation. I cannot live on yesterday's experience. I want God. I, don't, I cannot live on somebody else's revelation. Somebody else's experience. He has to be my God. Not my father's God or my mother's God, but my God. Not my pastor's God or my leader's God, my God. Not my denomination's God, but my God. Like he said, oh God, you are my God. You are my God and earnestly will I seek you. I will prioritize you as number one. Young people, how many of you challenge each other to pray and to fast and to study the word of God? How many of you challenge each other about what they've read in the scripture, about what revelation you received from the word of God? How many of you compare those kind of notes rather than, is it, is it what, what, what are these things? Um, reverse flash and forward flash, I don't know. What is these, these things? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about, reverse flash. Yeah, you don't know. You don't know. You are not in the know of some of these things. <laughs> the omni omni and all that. <laughs> Listen, I have teenagers and you have, to, uh, you have to know these things. It's part of parenting. Why do we need to take a hold of God? We need to see a breakthrough in some of the long-standing situations in our life. Some situations, they come, they immediately deal with it. Some situations, they've been there for years. Hannah was faced with a challenge year in, year out, and it wouldn't go. Year in, year out, it wouldn't go. First Samuel chapter 1. Year in, and then her enemy, her adversary provoked her, ridiculed her, ridiculed her. Today, we are being ridiculed. We are being ridiculed. I am at times ridiculed. And I know it, and I can feel it. Ridiculed. And you have to become desperate. You have to become desperate for God. You have to become desperate. And Hannah became desperate. Why? Her intense supplication was answered through Eli's benediction. She kept praying and then God used a priest who didn't know what he was about to be the vehicle through which she got her breakthrough. But it came as a result of her intense prayer. That in itself is a teaching in itself. The role that spiritual leaders play. Sometimes the spiritual leader is as blind as a bat. Eli was a 
spiritually blind priest, high priest. He was irresponsible, but he was the head. And because he was the head, when he declared something, it was declared. You need to be careful how you handle your head. Yeah. But that's another subject. Shall we move on? So what happens when we take a hold of God? Like I said earlier, you will become a different person. Just like Jacob. Secondly, your encounter will impact others. On the day of Pentecost, these 120, for 10 days, they were praying. Our Lord said to them, wait in Jerusalem till you're clothed with power from on high. This is what some of you need to do. You need to wait. And they were praying for 10 days. Just 10 days, you know. But it was 10 days of intense prayer. Now, the Lord told them to wait. You know, if, you, if they were like many of us today, they would say, the revival is coming. They will eat. They will sleep. They will get up and say, Lord, bring the revival. They will eat. They will sleep. They will get up and say, the revival is coming. They will eat. They will sleep. The day of Pentecost would come and go and nothing will happen. And they will say, Jesus is a false prophet. The Lord told them to wait in Jerusalem till they were endued, clothed with power from on high. And so for 10 days, these people shut themselves off, praying day and night, every day for 10 days. Every day for 10 days. You call one small meeting, mm, my family, hey, mm, my children, mm, mm. wait, hmm. I just got married. Oosh. Hey, swash. Yeah. Hey, swash. Oh. Come on Wednesday. Who's preaching today? Joe. Oh, we've had him. He probably preached one of his messages. No. When is prof coming? When, when, when's prof coming? Yeah. This is what we do. You guys are very good. You're actually here. I'm, I'm probably you turned up thinking prof was going to be here. <laughs> yeah, and you got me. What on earth? I hope you're going to deliver some prophecies after all that shouting. My friend. Ah. We came here for the prophet and then you're giving us this heavy message. Taking hold of God. I mean, why? This is not what we signed up for. <laughs> no, your encounter will impact others. <laughs> yeah. When you begin to encounter God, it will affect others. On that Pentecost day, on that day, 3,000 got saved. You want to see church growth? Get a hold of God. Number three, and I'm going to bring this to a conclusion. You will leave a legacy of the supernatural in the generation to come when you get a hold of God. You see, for me, I'm not interested in any legacy except it's a legacy that points people to Christ. I really am not interested in any legacy. I could fold CLF tonight if the Holy Spirit gives me the indication. It wouldn't bother me. Really, it wouldn't. I'm not interested in building CLF for CLFC. I really am not. I used to be. I'm not. But I do want to see the generation come and know that there is a God. Psalm 71, verses 16 to 18. He says, I will go in the strength of the Lord God. I will make mention of your righteousness of yours only. 
Oh God, you have taught me from my youth and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. Let me tell you, we are laboring very hard because we want to make sure that the generation coming will know how to cast out demons, will know how to heal the sick, will know the doctrine of God, will know how to move in the supernatural, will know how to operate the gifts, will know what the fivefold is really about. We are laboring in such a way that the generation coming will not have to reinvent the wheel like we've had to. We were not privileged to have fathers who fathered us. We were not privileged to have that. My father cursed me. My father-in-law cursed me. I've had many older brothers. But in terms of fathering, you guys are blessed. Your fathers like Kwame Dompre and Philip Ankara and Steve Mante and, and uh, Eno Kamwa and your fathers like um, Zenefen Ankara and people like that. You're blessed. Men who will die for you. You have mothers like Aisha Boydu. Such a humble woman. If it was somebody, eh, this is my sheet. I remember one of our churches between the North and the South Pole. I went to one of our churches, a CLF church. This isn't Pentecost. This is CLF. Our church. And, uh, I noticed there was a chair there. I said, come and sit here. I said, hey, this is a, the mother of the house. I said, mother of what house? <laughs> this is, I said, where? Where's the, the pastor's wife? This was her chair. Woe unto you if you sat on it. I said, hey, well, I'm in somebody's house. Even though it's a CLF church, I'm in somebody's house, so let me behave myself. Later on, I told them what I thought, but I didn't do it in public like I might do if I come to your church. <clears throat> so how do you take hold of God? Quickly, number one, you must repent of complacency. That is the biggest enemy to taking hold of God, complacency. Too many are complacent. Amos 6.1, woe to them who, or woe to you who are at ease in Zion. And trust in the mountain of Samaria. Notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. In other words, these people who were at ease were the leaders. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. You're comfortable. Things are cool. Woe to you because you have no idea what's coming. Let me tell you something. Never place your family above God. Never place yourself above God. Never place your ministry above God. Never place your church above God. Never place your children above God. Why? If you do, you could lose it. Two, how do we take hold of God? You must repent of, of ease. Two, you must stir up yourself. Say to your neighbor, stir up yourself. What does that word stir up yourself mean? When he says there's none who calls on your name who stirs himself up to take hold of you. That word stir up means this. It means to literally wake up. 
to wake up and to master yourself. To wake yourself up. He says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So many are asleep. Church leaders are asleep. Church members are asleep. We think we're doing really well. And sometimes the judgment of God comes when you have, you think everything is in order. The other day I was take, talking to one of my friends and he was telling me about a situation. Something happened and he felt really, it went really wrong. He was aware how wrong things were. And it, for a while it was wrong. And then he asked the Lord and then the Lord opened his eyes and he saw what was wrong and he corrected it. And I said to him, that was God's mercy. Because most people, when they've done something wrong, they don't even know they've done anything wrong. When they are blind and they are doing the wrong thing, they don't even know they're doing the wrong thing. That is a judgment. The worst thing that can happen to you is that in your rebellion, things are, doing, are going well. I, I don't know. Any, how many of you have ever left a church before and then you've come back? Wonderful. God bless you for being honest. When you leave, the first thing that happens is things are better. Come on. Am I lying? The first thing, the, very, the thing that you wanted, you get. That man or that woman or maybe that man and woman that you wanted. You get them. That job or that opportunity or that pleasure, you get it. Initially, it's called the winds of Euryclidon. Where you begin to go the wrong way and then the south wind comes and blows to help you. Now we've left. We've left. So you go into sea. Go and read the story about um, um, Paul and when he was sailing on the ship and he warned them, we shouldn't go on this ship. We shouldn't sail this boat. And the guys who were this, um, um, the sailors, they said, nah, this, everything's cool. When they started to sail, the south wind came to blow. Once they went deep, there was another storm that rose called Euryclidon, and it destroyed them, and it nearly killed all of them. What am I saying? I am saying this. You must make sure that you not only repent, but you stir yourself up so that you're awake, so that you don't get deceived and go the wrong way, if you want to take a hold of God. Quickly, number three, take immediate steps to get a hold of God. If you want to take hold of God, take immediate steps. Like as I'm talking to you now, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you about something you need to stop, about something you need to do, about repentance, about changing, a direction that you've decided to take. You take immediate steps there and then. He says, in 2 Corinthians 6.2, he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. He said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3, 7, and 8. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Every time the Spirit of God speaks to you, something in you registers. But I have seen it happen. You will hear the truth and then you resist it. Now, when you resist it, the grace to set you free is removed. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Quickly, number four. 
Not only should you take immediate steps, take intentional steps. In other words, if you want to take a hold of God, begin to put it in your diary that I am going to see God for this time. You see, you, 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 you put it in your diary to go on holiday to waste your money and to get fatter. There's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. I, I, I look at you looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. There's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, why don't you put it in your diary? And that wonderful, how many, five weeks holiday you've got. Just take two weeks. Out. Hey, two weeks. Oh, come on. What? Two weeks? Yes. And go and see God. For the first three, four days, you'll be bored if you're not used to it. But keep pressing in. You might come back a different person. And add fast into it because it'll be even more horrible. But afterwards, you'll see. And finally, partner with like-minded people. Find people who want to take hold of God and arrange with them to do it. That's what we used to do when we were younger. We'd say, hey, let, let's, let's stay overnight in church. Let's, let's stay. Let's stay. And some of them, would, when they see me coming, they'll just say, here you come. Oh, Joe, what? Yeah, come on, let's stay tonight and pray. Because I've got nothing to do, and so have you. I've already planned it. What are you going home to do? I used to ask them, what are you going to do? And they'll look at me like, what on earth? And we would pray from 11 till 5. And if they were trying to sleep, I'd say, come on, wake up, wake up. Let's pray. Find like-minded people. Amen. So I want to encourage you to take hold of God and this prophetic service, this is the message for you. And I, I want us to do that right now. I want us to do that right now. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. So where you are right now, why don't you rise to your feet?